Hello, everybody, and welcome to What Am I Missing, the podcast where I attempt to fill in the gaps of my knowledge through conversations with friends. I'm your host, Brett Walden, and today I'm talking to Daryl Black about the nightmare before Christmas. Now, as you can probably tell, this isn't the special episode that I had mentioned last week, and you might also be able to tell that uh, I have a bit of a cold, which is partially the reason why the episode never happened. Um, Tis the season, I guess. It was bound to happen. I haven't been sick in a while. So, um, yeah, so you're going to hear two me's in this episode, the one that you're hearing right now, who speaks only out of his nose, Um, and then, well, I guess the other me, which also speaks out of his nose, but it doesn't sound as congested and stuffed up when he does it. Um, But this conversation with Daryl is uh, very seasonal, very topical for this week, because Halloween is happening on Thursday, and we are here to talk about a movie that deals with Halloween. Um, It's a really interesting conversation. We get into a few things regarding Tim Burton, the history of the movie, where it came from, and we even talk about my alma mater, CalArts, which is where Tim Burton uh, started and then promptly left because he did not like it. But that's all in the episode, so continue listening. If you like the movie, if you don't get the movie, I think you're going to enjoy this episode and maybe find a new appreciation for the movie itself, and then maybe you can watch it for the holiday. As uh, as most times, there is a sneak peek of next week's episode at the end of this show, so stick around for that, but enough preamble. Let's all proclaim ourselves the Pumpkin King with Daryl Black. Take it away, Anthony. All right, you ready to get started? Let's do it. All right. Uh, welcome, everybody. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, we're sitting on here in a lovely, sunny afternoon. It's finally getting cool enough to say that it's getting cool. You're already looking at me like I'm crazy. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not gorgeous outside. It's not autumnal. But it's, it's, uh, it's cool enough that in the evenings I turn on the fan and I get a little chill. So that means winter is on its way in some capacity here. Um, But anyway, we're not here to talk about the weather. We're here to talk about some other things, Uh, although it is seasonal. So I am kind of, I guess, getting into it a little bit, segueing into um, what we are here to talk about today. Uh, Across the table from me, I've got a good friend of mine, Daryl. Hello. Hello. And he's here to talk about Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Nightmare Before Christmas. I almost said The Nightmare Before Christmas. That would have been inaccurate. Correct. Right. It's just Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, boy. Is that... You legally have to say his name before it? I believe so. I believe it's in his contract. Fair enough. All right. Um, Well, since we've signed that same contract, we will call it Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas every time we reference it. Um, So, yeah, uh, this is obviously a a movie that um, is beloved, has been out for, oh, six years. Um, Plus or minus. I don't know. Nobody knows. Well, 1993. Okay. October. Yeah. So six. Uh, Six is in there. It's been at least six. Yeah, there is a six in there. So I was right about that. Um, And uh, yeah, it's it's just um, you know it's 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 let's get down to brass tacks. It's classic Tim Burton. You know what I mean? It's dark. It's sinister. uh, It's black and white stripes and curly everything. And that's it. That's Tim Burton in a nutshell. And I don't need to say anything else about it. Yeah. You've, you've already pictured it in your head. It's Characters are tall and lanky. 
They're dressed in black and white stripes, and the ends of them curl. Yeah, that's pretty much. This is what am I talking about? Look in his brain. This is what it looks like. (laughs) It's black and white stripes and curls. Yes, it's the same in Beetlejuice. Mm -hmm. It's the same in Batman, and it's the same in Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Wow, I think you're uh, catching on to some sort of, uh, I don't know. Uh, there's something about I'm tapping. It. I'm tapping into some sort of creativity of his, at mm-hmm. least early, late Tim Burton. Yeah, bit weird. Well, he's also done some more uh, big projects like Planet of the Apes and mm-hmm. things like that, where not a lot of black and white really stripes in that. To do a lot of curly, uh, <laughs> curly things. And, yeah, and yeah, like the stripes. I don't know that anybody was asking him to do that before. I don't know. I think he was just I, I putting didn't himself know him personally. Yeah. So I, I never really asked him mm. what really brought him into the using stripes so much. Interesting, because when you sold yourself to me to be on the show, you mm. you didn't say it, but you you kind of you heavily insinuated that you knew Tim Burton of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Oh, I did. Uh, maybe not. Tom Burton. Oh, Tom, Tom, Tom Burton. Burton. He's a firefighter down the street. Oh, okay. House. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he drives the, the black and white stripe yes. truck. In memoriam, yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, so. So what, so what, okay, so so Nightmare Before Christmas. What is it? Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Tim, sorry, 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 sorry. Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Why are we talking about this today? What, uh, what do you love about it? What everything. is it? I love everything about it. Everything about it. Absolutely. Did you see it when it came out? No. 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 So you discovered Surprise. it later. I did uh, about four years after it came out. Mm. I think, well, it came out in 1993, right. as I said, six plus years ago. Right. And uh, I, I remember seeing the commercials on TV. Mm-hmm. The most uh, visual picture I have of the commercial on TV was the child who. Uh, got a present, turned around, and it was a shrunken head, and right. it freaked the parents out. That's the only part I can remember. Mm-hmm. So uh, when I was at that age, uh, when that came out, I wasn't really watching a lot of scary movies. wasn't really going out of my way to do that. So I think that <laughs> moment made it, in my mind, said, you know, this is, a, this is a scary movie. Don't go see this. Okay, so you remember seeing it. That the the first, like when it was coming out in theaters, yeah, and you saw that moment, and you went not for, not for little Daryl, yeah, not for well, ninety three. So I was, I don't know how old well, you were. Ninety six is when I graduated high school. Oh, okay. So yeah. So you were. <laughs> I was old enough. So you were fifteen. <laughs> yes. Fourteen or fifteen? Fifteen. Okay, so fifteen year old you. <laughs> yes. Saw that and went. Like new. Not for yeah. mid teens, Daryl. Yeah. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah. you got to you're learn you're going to drive in a year. You don't need this kind I of stress. Need, that's going to go through my brain when I'm driving. Yeah. I don't need that. Yeah. You're going to get need... your learner's permit in 6 months. Mm-hmm. Where did you grow up? Around Orlando. Okay. East Orlando. Do they do that here? 15 what? and a half learner's permit? I don't remember. It was a long time ago. Okay. The this only thing you remember is avoiding Tim Burton's Nightmare Before yeah, Christmas. Absolutely. At all costs. Okay. All right, so you're 15. Mm-hmm. Already, things aren't looking great for you. No, not at all. In this story, you're 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 avoiding an animated cartoon mm-hmm. because it's too scary. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I, I gotta have my uh, TGIF. Right, right, right. My family matters, and uh, right, you got things strangers. to do. Yeah, absolutely. Um, was it wasn't there anything um, creepy about like cousin Cody living in a van out in the yard? Or, you know, TGIF had some scary moments. It did, but I. I guess because they were real people, it wasn't mm. as creepy. Okay. I don't know. So 
so you do you do you put that image in the back of your brain and you just say I never want to think about this again? Yeah. Or were I you were you that. always were you curious about the potential of this movie? No, I mean it came and went. Yeah. And um, you know the movie did well. It wasn't like it was you know this indie film that you know a few people talked about. Right. Um, it's not Frankenweenie. Yeah. Exactly. Right. And uh, so you know people we just kind of. It came and went, and I just went about my business, graduated mm-hmm. high school. Congratulations. And, thank you. And uh, did it the first time. And then uh, I got into college, and uh, I just started uh, taking some film classes mm-hmm. and just started watching all kinds of things um, that I had never seen before. I just grew up just watching just very regular PG-type movies. Right. <laughs> I'd seen every Ernest movie, of course. Really? Yeah. I just read an article on on those. Yeah. What an in, yeah. What an interesting beginning to those things. Mm-hmm. He created a character and they f- like basically shopped him out to various commercials. And so he wasn't a spokesman for one product. It was this weird rare thing where they were like we've got a spokesperson for you. His name is Ernest and he, you know, and this is basically the shtick, and like everybody picked him up. Oh yeah, you know. Until eventually, they were like, "We need to make a movie out of this guy." But and like, yeah, it was just like I've never, I've never heard of that. They made what five of those? Oh, they made a lot. Of yeah, those. five or six. On uh, Ernest Saves Christmas, I believe a lot of it was filmed in Orlando. Is that right? Yeah, the that makes executive sense. Executive airport. Uh, there's a scene with the at an airport, and that's mm-hmm. where that was. Well, as we've mm-hmm. discussed, it it gets you know mildly cold here so that makes mm. sense for a christmas oh, yeah. movie he had that little vest so he was he was warm fine. right he in was, that area yeah he was he was probably sweating um yeah. so okay so you've seen is is that a choice that you make though as as yourself or is that something that you feel a familial pressure no like no r-rated movies or no not 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 that i'm saying you're suggesting that you've never seen an r-rated movie up until mm. that point but it sounds like you were sort of just like no, i'm gonna stick with yeah i think i think it was uh just Growing up in a conservative household, mm-hmm. and you know, we we stayed away from certain TV shows that we knew were bad influence or right. looked upon, you know, that way. And I think when I saw it, I used all of that experience and saw it and said, "Nope," yeah, and then just wrote it off. Somebody would disapprove of this. Yes, right. Least of which myself. Myself, right. I would, Yeah, I would feel like even if I snuck out and went to the theater and saw it, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, my guilt. My conscience would, of course, would you know make me confess or. Sometimes I think um, I would uh, I would put things on my mom especially, um, and not do things because I didn't want to disappoint her. That I feel if I asked her now and said, "Would you have been disappointed if I did this back then?" She would look at me like I've got three heads and be like, <laughs> "No, why? Why would you put that on me?" Right. You know, but but I I too it, it surprises people when. Like I say, like oh, I've, I I uh, I don't really know the Goonies, or I've never really seen Jaws, or you know, like, like these seminal movies and experiences that we were supposed to have. I'm not that much younger than you, you know, so we're sort of in the same area as far as like experience goes, you know. But it's just like those were just things that I I kind of was just like, no, I didn't see them. But when I think back, I think it's similar to you, where it was just like I feel like I would have disappointed somebody somehow. Mm-hmm. I, I even remember even parts of the Goonies that 
made me kind of like, ooh, is, I'm going to get in trouble for that. <laughs> right. But, you know, <laughs> looking back on it, I think that was putting a lot more pressure on myself than, right. than needed to be. Right. Especially with this movie that we're talking about today, Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Yes. Uh, that little bit that I keep in the back of my brain is nothing what the movie's about. Right, right, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And I don't even remember seeing the Jack Skellington's um, face in any of those memories mm-hmm. like in the original commercial. He's the main character. Right. It's <laughs> so, just that image of the boy with the yeah. decapitated head. Yeah. So you get into college, you're studying film. Is that when you first start to, I, I mean, is it is it more of like a, you see it through the studies because of just the, the um, motion or the stop motion animation? Or is it just, you know, how, how does it get introduced to you? It, it worked its way in. Um, I was taking um, German film mm. class. And that was going to be my first guess. <laughs> that's what most people guess. Uh, so and we could talk about that all day. Yeah, stories I mean, all this time. Podcast. No, no, no. Tell me something I don't know is what I'm asking. <laughs> but uh, the style of some of the old silent German expressionist movies, and I'll say Nosferatu, mm-hmm. which some people are aware of that name yeah. and then um the cabinet of dr caligari which mm-hmm. i don't know if a lot of people have heard that but if you google image search the cabinet of dr caligari the visuals that you're going to get the image search results are going to be so reminiscent of the nightmare before christmas really yes the the influence is just all over the place there wow um and that's a i mean is that a documented like confirmed uh, connection, like uh, Tim Tim yeah. Burton very clearly oh, yeah. was yeah he pulling definitely from this. has pulled uh, influence from that yeah uh, from those films um, and others but um, those two uh, I would recommend to just about anybody um, the Cabin and Doctor Caligari on its own with the storyline and just the visuals and everything I would recommend to anybody mm-hmm. if if they have the uh, wherewithal to sit through. Uh, German silent film where the card comes up, you read it, right. goes back to the the you know scene, go back to the, the card to read again and all yeah. that. So, yeah, fun. There's nothing it's wrong not with that. It's not very long. Uh, it's not. It's, what is this movie? Seventy six minutes. <laughs> so it's it's shorter than that. But. Yeah, I want to say Nosferatu is available also on either Netflix or Amazon or something because I just watched it a few weeks ago. Yeah. Um, more out of curiosity of, oh, I've, I've heard of this, now let's see it. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, it, it's there. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I believe Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is available somewhere because I've seen it on, on one of those streaming services as well. Right. But um, when I was watching those, there was reference to Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. So I was like, I never... <laughs> you know that was that movie that I checked out of and yeah. um, you know immediately rented it watched it loved it and now it's you know been a part of me right. since then so that's cool so this was 97 98 so I missed it by a few years right but, <laughs> but it's been there longer than it than it hasn't been yeah as far as the timeline goes, right. um, so so when you first watched it, you, you you sort of suggested or hinted at that you loved it immediately. Do you remember what it was about that first viewing that that sort of 
you know, when it got done, you were just like, whoa, this thing. Was it that connection to the older German films or was it just something overall? Yeah, I think it was that that um, physical aspect of it, the visuals. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the way that um, they created all this stuff with stop motion. Um, I mean, there's no doubt that's a, an amazing feat that they they did that. Yeah. Um, you know, it took them three years to make um, day in, day out. <laughs> you know, taking one picture at a time and moving these things around. Right. Um, and that link to those old films that I had become familiar with made me you know, really enjoy the, the visual aspect. But um, and it, then it went hand in hand with the, the music, the songs I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Um, Danny Elfman is the the composer, the arranger, the songwriter in this film. Yeah. Um, and he sings Jack Skellington's parts. Danny um, Elfman does? Yes. Oh, I had no idea. Uh, Chris Randon from Princess Bride. Mm-hmm. He does the voice acting, but... Uh, Danny Elfman jumps in for the singing parts. Wow. Yeah. And didn't know that. I didn't know until I looked it up. <laughs> right. Um, when I saw it, I was like, well, Chris Sarandon sings pretty well. No, no, <laughs> no. it doesn't. No. He talked. So, uh, yeah. So the music, and I, I bought the soundtrack and listened to it. You know, it's one of those things where people start listening to Christmas music around Christmas time. Mm-hmm. Hey, Nightmare Before Christmas starting, what, October 1st? Right. <laughs> or earlier. Yeah. And Halloween kind of get music. in the mood, yeah. Yeah. And it's a nice bridge between Halloween and Christmas. Right. right. <laughs> <laughs> so since that first viewing, how many times would you say that you've watched it? Ooh, that's... Too many to count? Yeah, quite a few times. Really? Yeah. I just watched it this season uh, a couple weeks ago mm-hmm. for the first, the first time that my kids... Oh. sat and watched the whole thing beginning to end with me. How was that? That was great. It yeah. was a really nice experience. That's yeah. really cool. They they didn't freak out. They weren't <laughs> creeped out. They didn't go, why is that little boy have a shrunken head in his hand? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so it was really cool. For me, it was kind of special because... Of course. You know, it's been, the movie's been near and dear to me for, for a long time. Yeah. You know, and they're only three and six so oh that's very <laughs> yeah. cool so did they have so any cool. questions or anything afterwards or or you know no comments um, about the film no they wanted to listen to the songs so mm-hmm. you know i have a cd in my car and listen to that sometimes and once in a while i hear one of them you know chime in with some lyrics and it's kind right. of fun Aww. yeah that's really cool yeah i'm i'm just glad that they they're you know they appreciate it and they weren't afraid of it or anything like that because Honestly, it's not a scary movie. No. I don't, I don't think at all. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think there's some there's some bizarre imagery in it, mm-hmm. um but I think that comes with uh, that comes with the territory with with Tim Burton certainly, yeah. but And I think if you call it out and say, "Whoa, right. those are witches. <laughs> They're scary." Right. You know, the kid's going to go, "Oh yeah, you're right." Mm-hmm. But we just watched it at face value and, you know, this place, Halloween Town, is where all of the Halloween characters live. Right. And they go day to day, do their jobs like anybody else would. Yeah. They don't look at anything differently. Yeah. You know, and I think it almost makes me think of we put so many labels on everything mm. that, you know, these Halloween characters are just going about their business. The Christmas Town characters are going about their business. Right. And they're all the same. Yeah. You know, 
Yeah. So nobody knows that they're doing anything strange or different. Mm-hmm. Uh, that reminds me of um, I had mentioned it before, but um, uh, Beetlejuice. Because we don't say it two more times. Oh, sorry, sorry. I think I've already said it twice. Um, uh, but I went to um, Cal Arts, California Institute of the Arts, which Tim Burton went to for a, a little bit, and then he dropped out because apparently he didn't like it. Mm. But when you go to a school, um, any school I suspect will will tout their alum, you know, as far as. Who, who you should know about, like, went there, even if they hated it. Um, and so Tim Burton was always kind of at the top of the list, especially for animation. And the one story that would um, inevitably be passed down was that uh, the Bee Juice story, I won't say it, Fair enough. Casey shows up, um, but th- that that whole movie was sort of based on, or the the idea of, the like the house on the hill and everything was based on Cal Arts because the way that Cal Arts is um, situated is that in Valencia it's um, it's built on a hill and then the city of Valencia is sort of down below oh, okay. and so it was kind of there's this parallel you know for students especially of this idea of the weirdos living up on the hill and then the normal rich people living down below and that in essence sort of captured the spirit of what <laughs> Valencia and Cal Arts was. And so, but it does seem to be sort of a running theme, especially throughout his early movies, um, early to mid period, where it's just like, it's, it's kind of the, 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 the outcast, the, the strange, you know, who were just doing their thing. Edward Scissorhands too. Edward Scissorhands. Absolutely. Right. Um, same thing, right? It's all that, it's, it's all that idea of like weird people living up on a hill and normal people like down below and putting their sort of prejudices and their judgments on the weird people in order to make them that. And and it's kind of like what you're describing here with, with Halloween town where it's like, it's not until they're sort of discovered or I guess we'll talk about it. So talk, let's talk about the plot of the movie. So what happens? All right. Uh, well, going back real quick to yeah. the bee juice movie that right. you mentioned, um, Catherine O'Hara, who's in that, is also the voice of Sally okay. in this film. And Glenn Shaddix, who's Otho, the interior decorator in, mm-hmm. in the movie. Uh, <laughs> I don't know why I'm avoiding saying I don't know. that. Do we really think we're that he's going to show up? We're treating it like the Scottish play here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what Scottish play? Uh, he is uh, the Beetlejuice. mayor. The mayor. Anyway. Okay. <clears throat> did you say it twice? Hmm? Okay. William so, Shakespeare's yeah, Beetlejuice. Film. Do you want me to just go through the, the, the beats of the movie? Yeah, let's talk about it. All right, let's do it. In case anybody out there has never seen it, but wants everything spoiled for them. They really need to see it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so that's pa- true. <laughs> pause, go see the movie. Go and watch it. see if I can remember it. Listen to this roundup. Uh, so, yeah, uh, it starts off with a celebration. It's Halloween, and they just... Halloween In Halloween Town, they're celebrating. They just did it. They just celebrated Halloween. They did a good job. Um, Jack Skellington is basically the, the orchestrator of everything. He can, he's plan things out for everybody and make sure everything goes smoothly. Yeah. Um, so they're, everyone's just excited except for him. He, you know, the accolades galore to him and amazing job and everything. But, uh, once celebration's done, he kind of walks up on his own, goes to the cemetery and, um, sings about how he... He thinks there's more out there. 
He's he's at the top of the world. He's got everything he could ever want, but there's something missing. Right. Uh, so he just keeps walking and walking, and he comes to this arrangement of trees all facing inward in a circle that each one has a door on it that um, symbolizes a different holiday. Um, there's St. Patrick's Day, Thanksgiving, Easter, um, Christmas, and maybe a couple other ones that I can't remember right now. But right. he is uh, Arbor immediately... Day. Arbor Day probably did, has a door, but just a doorknob. The tree's probably the door. Yeah. Yeah. But he'd have to open a door because they all had ways to get inside these. Right. Other, they're basically uh, other dimensions. Right, right, right. So um, his eyes gravitate toward the Christmas tree. He opens it up. Nothing there, but he gets sucked into this um, other world. So it's Christmas town. Right. And he gets sucked into and he sings the song, What is this? What's this? What's this? Uh, because it's all new. He's never seen any of this before. Yeah. And it's amazing. And um, can I pause there for a second? Yeah. What is the logical purpose of having doorways between dimensions? Logically? Yeah. Is it, is it, ever, <laughs> is it ever set up or recognized that these things have been used? No. Okay. No, and and how he gets back, I have no idea, because he comes back with all of this Christmas stuff. Did he go back up out the door? Was there another assemblage of trees in Christmas Town right. that represented all the other holidays, including Halloween, but yeah. not having Christmas? You would think so. Is I that would ne- think so? Does that is that never shown? They never show it. Really, it just shows back up. Okay. I don't so, mean to start picking this movie apart, but already I'm starting to go. Why would you need? doorways into the other lands unless they're meant to be used yeah right right well in this case it they were used to teach someone a lesson okay we'll okay so maybe they the just end. so maybe they just show up when somebody needs it the most it's like yeah. narnia yeah there you go okay uh we can go let's go with that okay cool sure tim burton would agree cool 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 uh so um yeah so thankfully i mean he picked christmas if he would have picked thanksgiving or something this could have gone completely different he would have learned a different lesson that we all would have, yeah, for sure. Killed the natives, or whatever, whatever the lesson of Thanksgiving. Is. <laughs> so he's in Christmas. Yeah, he's land. in Christmas land. He sees <laughs> Santa Claus, who he, for some reason, um, calls him Sandy Claus. Mm. Kind of makes it a little more menacing. Yeah, I don't know if he hears someone say Santa Claus and he just hears it that way, but um, you know, he finds out that's the leader of. Christmas town. Right. So he comes Well, he's back. coming in with his own biases too. Absolutely. Which I think is the most you know what, what the most interesting part is that like it never goes just one way in these movies either. You know, even though we're supposed to sympathize with the weirdos, they always have oops, oh god. Ow. Just bumped my thing. Sorry. Um they always have biases going the other way too and make assumptions about the other group as well. Mm-hmm. And so he assumes Oh, claws like we have, right? Yeah, C L A W S. Right, and he has a sleigh, so sleigh can be used. That's know. great. Um, so he comes back somehow to Halloween Town with all this Christmas stuff, and he says, "Get everyone together." So they have a big meeting, and he just has this display of a Christmas tree and presents, and everyone's like, "What is all this stuff? We've never heard this before." So they have a big song about him educating everyone on what this Christmas stuff was. Mm-hmm. And they're all excited. They're like, wow, we should have a Christmas. And he's like, all right, well, let me think about it. So he goes to his house, 
and he's trying to figure out what is Christmas all about. Mm. What is what is this thing that he can't quite grasp? He's he's read all the books and all this stuff, but um, he ends up deciding on just taking over Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> okay. He decides, you know what? If they can have Christmas, I can have Christmas too. Right. So um, he gets everyone together again and says, hey guys, we're going to take over Christmas. Hmm. And um, they they set about making presents that are, to them, wonderful. Right. But to the you know regular people that the Christmas town is dealing with, they're scary. Right. You know, you've got the shrunken head and the present. You've got um, right. wreaths that come alive. Um, and Aren't there like dead rats or dead mice or... Yeah. Am I making they, that up? There is a song about how they're trying to, to make all these things um, usable as presents. So, you right. know, a rat, he said, you know, well, you can put it on your head as a hat or this or that, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, so they... Uh, <laughs> And that's where that's where fifteen year old Daryl says, "I'm out. <laughs> None of this." Well, I never made it that far, right? But I'm saying the gift part of it. You saw the the, the shrunken oh, yeah. head, and you were like, "Yeah, why nope. did why would they start with that? I'm Don't not behind this. That. I'm not no. behind this." Yeah. Uh, so he <laughs> he cha- he charges these the mad scientist who lives in Halloween Town to create the a skeleton reindeer mm. and a sleigh and Jack says I'm going to be Santa Claus and uh, he actually gets three trick-or-treaters lock shock and barrel mm-hmm. to kidnap kidnap Santa Claus sure. so you know all the best intentions right yeah 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 and uh, so he he tells them you make sure that you leave the boogeyman out of this and they call him Oogie Boogie in the oh movie. yeah um and so he sends them off. They go get the Easter Bunny by mistake. Ha <laughs> <laughs> ha! Hilarious. Uh, don't know what happens to the Easter Bunny after that. Oh no! I, I have no idea. They don't. They don't I, tell you. They don't say that they return the Easter Bunny. Uh, the Easter Bunny didn't talk. They use the egg door, don't they? Bunny. They must have gone through the egg door. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Um, so they finally kidnap the. So a lot soldiers. of this stuff is happening off camera. We're left to assume a lot. Yeah. Okay. Well, because. You've got stop motion animation. You'd have to animate. Yeah, that's true. Well, actually, they do show the part where they um, they go to Santa's door. Mm-hmm. They do show that part. Right. Okay. Um, it, after the the whole so they're using bunny the doors. Fiasco. Yeah, they are using the doors. Okay. So apparently, this is now a thing. Right. <laughs> so this is no longer a lesson for Jack. Everybody has access to these doors oh, yeah. now. Okay. They, they probably set up camp. Right by the doors. They're just going in and out. <laughs> yeah. You know, St. Yeah. Patrick's Day is never the same. You I know, would. All that stuff. I would. Yeah, why not? Did you ever see Pacific Rim? No, I haven't seen Pacific Rim. Um, Great movie, first and foremost. Great movie. It's about giant... Uh, Robots. Giant. <laughs> well, <laughs> it's about these, these creatures that sort of come out of the ocean, and then they attack all of the coastal cities, and so man has to fight back by building giant robots that can take them on. And as the monsters get bigger and stronger, they have to build bigger and stronger robots in order to do it. And it's great, and it's action-packed, and um, and I'm going to ruin it for you right now by suggesting that at the end of the movie, they show that the robots can fight and um, sustain underwater. 
because there's this great sequence where they have to go and and take care of this hole that the monsters keep emerging from mm. and so they prove that the mon- that the the robots can can be underwater and and be fine um and so I've always wondered why they don't just camp the robots outside of the hole and then just play whack-a-mole as the monsters are attempting to come out. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. Stop them at the source. How many are in the hole? They just keep coming. Really? Yeah. And it's all... all waiting their turn? It's all explained, Mm. you know, and and it's all sort of justified except for the fact that nobody in this world on the human side has ever thought, oh, let's just set up 10 robots around this hole and Mm. just blast them... Oh, yeah. Before they even get a chance. Yeah. We're waiting for them on the coast, giving them this head start mm-hmm. so they can travel the entire ocean and waiting for them to arrive. You know, and it's just like, just just punch them as they come out of the hole. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Camp out by the doors is what I'm saying. I think that would be a way more interesting movie, too. Just having robots just camping out. I Maybe mean, like, <laughs> just, as far as a movie premise, no, it's probably not the most exciting. <laughs> exciting thing <laughs> to only ever see the top of the head of the monster before it gets destroyed right. back down you're like oh all right thought mm. we were gonna see it that time you did but, use um, a giant hammer though but cool. movies about camping out um in circles i guess that made me think of pacific rim <laughs> so anyway all right so they 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 accidentally get the easter bunny mm. doesn't work doesn't work not but the right thing he said you know go get the real thing so right. they go get santa and uh they take him to um oogie boogie's house Uh-oh. which is under their their house yeah um and he's no good as halloween town characters go he's the bad guy right um he's always in it for you know destroying things or killing people or anything you know to yeah. make mischief and um so they deliver him <laughs> deliver santa to him and he's got him tied up and all this and as that's happening santa uh Jack Skellington's got his Santa suit on and everything. Um, Sally, who we haven't really talked about, has been kind of in the wings the whole movie saying, this is bad. Things are going to be bad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is a bad idea. Um, he just doesn't doesn't pay attention at all. Just and ignores her. Just ignores her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he takes off and he starts delivering presents. Um, military are shooting cannons and um, everything they can at him, but he thinks it's a parade, a celebration. He's, right. You know, he thinks, oh, fireworks, great. He doesn't get it. No, he doesn't. No. Not until uh, till the end. Okay. Uh, and then one of them hits the sleigh. He, he crashes to the earth, and um, that's when he starts, uh, I believe it's Jack's Lament song, mm. where... He's trying to figure out what did I, where did I go wrong, right? <laughs> and um, and then I, I don't know if I should tell what happens at the very end. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you can I mean, if you're listening to this and you don't know, then I mean, you, you have no excuse. <laughs> okay, you have no excuse. That's fair. So what so, happens? Yeah, he he goes back to Halloween Town and finds that Santa is being tortured (laughs) and sally's right there with him now because she's she tried to rescue him didn't work and he comes in defeats oogie boogie and um sets santa free santa's not happy no he says you know uh, basically says you need to stay in your town and leave mine alone right um stay in your lane jack skellington stay in your lane and i think that kind of is one of the 
the biggest lessons of this film. Um, Do you really think that? Yeah. Because Jack had everything that he could ever ask for. Right. And he wanted more. And I think he it took him to um, go through this whole ordeal to realize just how good he had it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it took a lot of um, sacrifice um, <laughs> on Santa's part for allowing this to happen. Yeah. But, um, you know, he, Jack definitely could have kept any of this from happening if he would have just, you know, yeah, stayed where he was. Is that... Um, it- is there any sort of I'm trying to th- remember is there any sort of compromise at the end though of between the two of look you can do a little of this or you can help us out here or no it's just kind of like you got to everybody just goes back to normal <laughs> yeah and um Santa actually swings by Halloween town at the end and mm-hmm. makes it snow okay and uh, they've never had snow there so they're all freaking out eating it and doing all that stuff right um but as far as um you know there being some sort of compromise worked out no there is no okay so as a fan of the movie then is that lesson satisfying to you as like a moral um and if so why <laughs> well I look at the movie more than just teaching me a lesson mm-hmm. or a moral. Um, you know, there there's the love story in it with Jack and Sally. Yeah. There's the visual aspect and being stop motion. It's there's a lot to look at, even if you're not paying attention to the storyline. Right. Um, but yeah, as a as a moral lesson, you know, I, I think it just is uh, a lesson in greed. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, wanting more than you should, <laughs> you should uh, have, basically. Right. Well, is it a? Le- I mean, I guess there's two ways of looking at the same sort of outcome. It's either one you see it as you know being just being satisfied um, in a in a God. I don't know how to frame this without it seeming like it's kind of defeatist. Um, being sad, you know. B- the, it's not, you know, like this green, uh, grass is always greener kind of thing, where it's just like, just be grateful for the, th- I guess grateful is the word I'm looking for. Be grateful for the things that you have, right? Mm. Instead of always looking outward, thinking that everybody else has it better, right? Mm. But realize that, y- you know, life is pretty good, and, uh, you know, just be grateful for the things you have. But even when I'm saying that, I'm thinking <laughs> like, no, yeah, that can't you be always it. want want to strive to, yeah. to learn new things to experience new things yeah yeah to better better That's, oneself you know and even if you yeah. even if there are setbacks or there are mistakes made along the way like you know kidnap and torture like you should at least be able to have learned a positive lesson out of it yeah yeah and i i don't want to sound um defeatist either and saying that he should have just stayed where he was and accepted it right um but even at the end, he realizes, oh, Sally's been here the whole time. Right. And I have ignored her. Right. And I think he learns that she's been there for him, and he finally sees that. Right. At the end when, you know. She's his Christmas. Yeah. Essentially. Aw. 
That's cute. Yeah. And, you know, I think that was fitting end is basically the two of them on top of the the curly huh? mountain. There it is. And um, finally confessing their you know, love for each other. Right. Mm-hmm. Even though he actively ignored her throughout most of the Absolutely. film. Absolutely. She didn't see a problem with that at the end. No. She was like, it's fine. <laughs> you had to go through this entire journey where I could have just told you this was a bad idea. Mm-hmm. But which really, I attempted would he to learn the lesson? I don't I don't know. He's he's boneheaded, really. <laughs> to, <laughs> okay. Not, not because he's a skeleton, but because he just <laughs> needed to get a little bit uh harder lesson than he should have. Right. Um, I also feel like from her standpoint, though, she's in such a toxic relationship with the mad scientist character Mm -hmm. that anything outside of him is a step up. Oh, yeah. So so even the bonehead who who ignores her advice and sort of passes her off as just being, you know, oh, you silly woman, you know, Mm -hmm. you're you're falling apart at the seams, literally, (laughs) you know, she's like, well, it's better than being experimented on by this jerk. So really, it's kind of a story about domestic abuse, Oof. you know? Yeah, uh, she... Did your three-year-old pick up on that? Mm, they didn't mention it. No? Okay. I'm we'll sure it was there. Oh. I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure they understood. Yeah. They're like, I don't even... I, I feel silly even mentioning this, Dad, but the domestic problems in this movie are rampant. <laughs> um, I don't know she how you talk. She has to drug the mad scientist in order to escape <laughs> every single time. Yeah. Uh, in the film, so that's always fun. Yeah, but she keeps getting dragged back. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot going on in the movie, but I think it underscores Tim Burton's sensibilities and, and the fact that this movie could even be made in the first place and on behalf of Disney is just mm-hmm. mind-boggling. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, the first time that he pitched it, it, it was a no-go. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he... Um, he wrote this poem, and it focused on just Jack, Santa, uh, Zero, pulling the sleigh because he had the shiny nose. Right. Um, and, uh, you know, it, it definitely took a lot of fleshing out to actually make the movie itself. Yeah. But, um, and he actually um, deferred to Henry Selleck to direct it because of the stop-motion animation part of it. Oh, okay. Because Tim Burton didn't have a lot of stop motion experience, I don't think. Yeah. Um, if he did, it wasn't in in this capacity. Right. So. Well, I can't think of anything, and you know, I'm sure people listening could could correct me, but I can't really think of anything, especially at this time, that is stop motion and and as high profile. You know, I I know, like, I mean, I'm sure. Ardman's doing stuff for you know like the Wallace and Gromit things and you know like uh, certainly it exists around the 93 yeah okay you know what I mean but but I mean in terms of just like really having it be like this is a motion picture length and to have it look that good right I mean people must have lost their minds yeah you absolutely. know and um I think he also took some um some some of the stop motion idea from the old Rankin Bass Christmas movies. Have you seen any of those? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so uh, I think he took some of that idea too. You know, this because I originally uh, read that he 
was thinking it would be more of a holiday special, which those were. Right. You know, uh, Rudolph and Santa, uh, Santa Claus is coming to town, all those. Um, and we watch those every year, too. Sure. They're, they're not great. No. Um, but they're... <laughs> some better than others. Some are. Yeah. Heat Miser, not yeah. great. Oh, you didn't like those guys? No, I don't like the Heat Miser. Well, animosity there. <laughs> <laughs> I just don't know what the lesson is. I'm always looking for lessons yeah. and morals. You know what I mean? Uh, um, I think there's was stay in your lane. Stay in your lane. <laughs> Every Christmas story has the same moral, <laughs> which Tim Burton was right to pick up on. Just stay in your lane. Yeah, just go with it. You know what I mean? Conform, conform, conform. I think, first of all, two points. Um, I love the, the history that's coming out in this. I love realizing that, that Tim Burton is pulling from, you know, um, past genres and like older uh, older material in order to bring it into, you know, into being the way that it is. And the fact that like, old Christmas specials, the way that we traditionally receive them, are that stop-motion animation, immediately sets it in a place in our brain that seems more classic, even the first time that we watch it, you know, where your brain just goes, oh, I recognize this as something mm-hmm. that's special. Um, so that's the first point. The second point is, I think I keep bringing up the moral thing, knowing what I know about Tim Burton and his dissatisfaction with, like, not only the school, Cal Arts, but sort of with the industry as a whole, that... That then that you know so <laughs> the 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 sort of overall message seems to be one of like just just be happy with what you've got <laughs> and maybe he came to that realization through his rebellion maybe at some point he regretted ever leaving school I can't say mm-hmm. you know hopefully after Planet of the Apes he realized like oh I should I should have stayed in school maybe I would have avoided that um, but but it's just it's it's interesting that somebody like that would would allow sort of his main character to to sort of be like, oh, you're right, I overstepped my bounds a bit, you know? I flew too yeah. close to the sun. Yeah, I feel like a lot of these characters, they're, uh, you know, Beetlejuice, oh, how many times is that? Or is it per person? I think it's per person, and it's got to, I can't, there, I can't imagine there's, there can be wo- many words in between. Okay. Really? I, so I don't know. if I said Beetlejuice again, it probably would start over? Maybe. I think there's a reset. When I do a what am I missing on Beetlejuice? I'll let you know. Okay. Um, but that he hasn't shown up. Time. He hasn't. <laughs> he hasn't shown up yet. All right. So that one, Edward Scissorhands, uh, this movie, uh, you've got the outcast, so to speak. Yeah. And I feel like they they try to get into society. They try to fit in, but in the end, they don't. They they right. go back to where they were. Right. Um, Edward Scissorhands, he as far as I remember, he was still in the house at the end of the movie right um after trying to conform and trying to fit in and um you know it's it's funny it's it's not like a a story of acceptance really yeah and I, i mean i guess that follows in a way where it's like you don't want to be part of that you know, you want to be the weirdo on the hill. You don't want to be part of the normals down because they're just awful, <laughs> you know? Well, in Edward Scissorhands, he really pushed how yeah. awful those people were. Yeah. He's such strange and I characters. And I, you know what? And I think I'm going to amend what I said. I keep saying Beetlejuice was the inspiration for, or CalArts was the inspiration for Beetlejuice, but I think as you're talking about it, I think it's Edward Scissorhands. Hmm. So save your angry emails, folks. I'm pretty sure it's Edward Scissorhands, the weirdos on the hill. But the the point is that 
yes, that does seem to be a takeaway of these films. Like, yeah, you know, you may spend the whole movie wanting to be a part of it, but that's only because you want that level of acceptance that sort of allows you to just kind of be ignored, Mm -hmm. you know? But ultimately, it's like the message is just keep being weird, which is to say keep being you, Yeah. you know? But I guess, again, that's why I'm surprised that in Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas, there's no compromise at the very least to be like, you're okay, we're okay, you know? Yeah. You are useful to us, but not in a way that you have to assimilate. Mm-hmm. Instead, it's just sort of like a, hey, stay on this side of the tree. Right. But there's nothing wrong with that. Now, we know we know that each other exists, so we're just going to <laughs> right. just remember that, but right. we're not going we're not going to let it affect us. <laughs> yeah. Fences make good neighbors. Yeah. Right. In this case, uh, well, trees, fences. Trees oh, and yeah. fences. Yeah. Um so, so you, but you mentioned, so this is based on a, on an original poem that Tim Burton wrote? Yes. And what is, and is it called Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas? Oh, this well, one is the... It's only called The Nightmare Before Christmas. Okay. It's and illustrated by Tim Burton. Yeah. Um, and I picked up the 20th anniversary edition of it, but... Uh, is it long? It's, it's not too long. It's longer than reading on the podcast, though. Yeah. You don't get to decide that. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you can read it for the yeah. first few pages. Is it written um, in the in the style of Night Before Christmas? It's in the um, it's in the, um, the poetic the meter fashion. and the rhythm. Um, but it, it's interesting because it, the movie had to really add a lot of things to it. Sure. Um, so you know the whole idea of Sally and all that stuff is added in yeah um so yeah i can start right here let's hear it it was late one fall in halloween land and the air had quite a chill against the moon a skeleton sat alone upon a hill he was tall and thin with a bat bow tie jack skellington was his name he was tired and bored in halloween land everything was always the same <laughs> i'm sick of the scaring the terror the fright i'm tired of being something that goes bump in the night I'm bored with leering my horrible glances and my feet hurt from dancing those skeleton dances. I don't like graveyards and I need something new. There must be something more to life than just yelling boo. Then out from a grave with a curl and a twist came a whimpering whining spectral mist. It was a little ghost dog with a faint little bark and a jack-o'-lantern nose that glowed in the dark. It was Jack's dog Zero, the best friend he had, but Jack hardly noticed which made Zero sad. Oh. Oh. And there's a drawing of a... <laughs> I don't have to tell you about the drawings. <laughs> All that night and through the next day, Jack wandered and walked. He was filled with dismay. You could fill in the last word if you think you know what it's going to be. Okay, that'll be a fun game. That'll be a fun game. Then deep in the forest, just before night, Jack came upon an amazing... Sight. Sight. Not 20 feet from the spot where he stood were three massive doorways carved in good wood wood close he stood before them completely in awe his gaze transfixed by transfixed by one special door ja. door huh? he kind of stretched on that one door completely in awe and one special door door yeah i guess i don't have to go that way <laughs> special door entranced and excited <laughs> entranced and excited wow we're really getting off here with a slight sense of worry Jack opened the door to a white, windy... Hurry. Flurry. Oh. You're batting a thousand here. I'm making a choice before you start the next sentence. There's a full page of a... The big flurry. silhouette of him in a flurry. There he goes. great. There's a lot of words on this page. 
Jack didn't know it, but he'd fallen down in the middle of a place called Christmas Town. Immersed in the light, Jack was no longer haunted. He had finally found the feeling he wanted. And so that his friends wouldn't think him a liar, he took the present-filled stockings that hung by the fire. He took candy and toys that were stacked on the shelves and a picture of Santa with all of his elves. He took lights and ornaments and the star from the tree and from the Christmas Town sign he took the big letter free C. Oh. The big letter C is the correct answer. He picked up everything that sparkled or glowed. He even picked up a handful of s- snow. Snow, because glowed and snow are close. He grabbed it all, and without being seen, he took it all back to... Halloween. Yeah. Back at Halloween, a group of Jack's peers stared in amazement at his Christmas... Ears. Souvenirs. Oh. For his wondrous vision, none were prepared. Most were excited, though a few were quite... Haired. Scared. Scared is the correct answer. How much more of this... Let's see. Well, this is page. So, okay. So in the book, yeah, he just starts looting. He just starts taking things. Yeah, he really does. He finds himself <laughs> He finds himself in a place that he's never seen before. And this first instinct is, take. I'm going to take all of this shit. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. That, he's a Halloween character. Are we supposed it's to be sympathetic to him in the book? No wonder well, Disney went, no. <laughs> and yeah, he just gave them this poem and said, here, I'm making this. <laughs> Uh, Here, I've created a character. He's a skeleton and an asshole. (laughs) Well, being Halloween characters, they are inherently, you know, inclined to scare people, right? That's dumb. What about tricking and treating? That's biased. Isn't tricking and treating part of Halloween? Tricking, but but tricking is, you're not going to, it's not an arrestable offense. Okay. He's actively stealing well, there could have been a large sign that says free candy, and he was just grabbing free candy. We don't know. But that's not stealing. Hmm. He's taking, he's just... He's taking. <laughs> he's, he sees enough. He's he's sad mm-hmm. because he just, he knows there's more that he could do with his life. Okay. I'm too good at this. Which is a great, noble, very noble. I mean, in terms of like dreaming big, yes. Mm-hmm. But then he, but basically he's saying like, uh, you know, he's he's like a taxi driver who says, you know what, I'm more than just a guy behind a wheel. I should be doing more with my life. Mm-hmm. And then he, um, you know, he finds himself picking up, oh, okay, so he gets called to a mansion, right? And the wealthy dowager who called him is like, oh, I'll be up in my room for just a second if you wouldn't mind waiting in the study. And instead of going... This is my opportunity to learn something. To learn how people make and keep money, he just goes, ah, fuck it, I'll just steal it. And then he jumps back into his cab and he drives away. <laughs> That's Jack Skellington right now. Yeah, but Jack Skellington is And then is he goes and shows skull- all of his cabbie friends. <laughs> and they're <What>? scared. <laughs> okay, so that would be a disreputable taxi driver. Yeah. But he's a skeleton that lives in Halloween Town. Wouldn't he, by nature... Be well, I forgot to tell you that the cab driver is also a skeleton. <gasps> the big reveal. <laughs> <laughs> Underneath all of that skin and meat, he's well, a skeleton. Okay, so while he's at this mansion, mm-hmm. you um, you could even say that he, he says, well, I can be a mansion owner myself. So he goes upstairs, ties up the owner, puts on <laughs> puts on his uh, smoking jacket, right? Uh, goes about and does all the things that he thinks the mansion owner... Who, Whatever business they were in, I yeah. don't know. Yeah. An accountant. 
Right. Sure. Right. Uh, that's how you. That's how you become a millionaire. Accounting. <laughs> right. I don't know why accountant. But uh, and and then find out. Well, I'm not a great accountant. So maybe right. I'll just go back and all the stolen stuff that I have in my trunk right. and uh, be a taxi driver again. I guess I'll just make the taxi my mansion. Mm-hmm. And then the wealthy dowager gets free after months of torture and shakes her f- ringed finger and says, don't do that again. And then closes the door. Yeah. Okay. And then, uh, makes it snow. In this case, maybe throws money out a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, here's a few pennies for all your cab friends. Making it rain. Just so you can remember what money was like. Um, so what? So what is ultimately the appeal of the movie? Outside of the... I mean, obviously, it's visually stunning. Right. Um, before we started recording, though, you had kind of mentioned you you were drawn to the, the combining of the two holidays. Yeah. I, I mean, my favorite two holidays are Halloween and Christmas. So... Mm. This was right up the alley where it's like I could listen to music. I could watch the movie from October through December if I wanted to. Yeah. And it'd be just all well and good. So is it, bo- is, it, is, it both, is it both movies? You can watch this October and December? I think so, yeah. And it fits? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and um, I, I would argue that it is a Halloween movie, though. Mm. <laughs> so, you know, I don't know how many camps there are. Uh, regarding if it's a Halloween or a Christmas movie. But, right. Um, Probably two. Yeah, pretty much. At most. And some people... Whoops, did I do that? That's okay. Um, so as far as... Um, as far as it, uh, the appeal mm-hmm. is... Um, yeah, I mean, I think... Um, yeah, I think that right now, if you go to any store you're going to see Nightmare Before Christmas. Stuff. Yeah. And no matter how cheesy it is. I think I saw the other day there was an Oogie Boogie with a saxophone in his hand. Nice. And I didn't go over <laughs> and push any buttons to see if it made music. Right. But a lot of these are playing the theme song. Does he play them. saxophone in the movie? I don't think so. Okay. And if anyone wants to correct me, but I, I don't recall him ever picking up a saxophone in the movie. Right. Um, but uh, he does throw dice, which is great for kids yeah to learn how to throw dice. slightly racist really yeah i don't know if we need to get into the, oh, the okay. history of let's not do that of dice and and animation but um fair enough there there are connotations there oh, okay. but he's got kind of like a he's oogie boogie's got like kind of a patois kind of he's got an affected voice right like it's yes. very uh like, i think it's ken page is the voice actor mm-hmm. um that that kind of gives him that um, that style and uh, yeah. Is it kind of like a? I, I'm I'm totally maybe misremembering, but it's sort of like a kind of a New Orleans like like yeah, isn't it? Kind of like oh ho ho. Well well well. Yeah. Oogie what boogie. have we here? That type of thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So the fact that he shoots diet is definitely kind of. Hmm. Uh, what about the roulette table that they're running R-A-C. around? R A C. Um. Well. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, any any gambling is probably, if not deliberately, um, put there due to um, uh, what's another word besides racism, um, prejudice or bias. Like it's definitely couched in a <laughs> in a in an animation history of, um, you know, black mm. people can't help but gamble and mm. um, throw their life savings away. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, they're engaged in vices. 
Yeah. And little kids watching it, obviously, they don't have that. Look, your three-year-old probably picked up on it. You know, have a long conversation when I get home. Why isn't that character playing jazz music? Mm -hmm. Oh, there he is with the saxophone. saxophone. Good. Okay, good. We've covered that too. Um, That makes so much more sense now. Yeah. Again, unfortunately, it's. it's (laughs) No, I I don't know. Fast forward this part of the film. I don't want to keep. You know, I don't want to keep throwing these wrenches into your into the love of this movie. We love this movie so much. (laughs) Like, why are these doors here? And oh my god, he's such a stereotype now. (laughs) What lesson is he learning? Um, but. Um, but everyone loves Oogie Boogie. Mm-hmm. Am I saying that right? Yeah. Oogie Boogie. Oogie Boogie. Oogie Boogie. Um, I don't think they say it like that, but if they were you British, they would. Too. Fair enough. Oogie Boogie. <laughs> um, if you ever listen to a Ringo Starr song, he mentions mm-hmm. Boogie all the time. Oh, really? So I, I, I swear it was in his songwriting contract. Wow. Or if somebody brought him a song, he would say like, you didn't mention Boogie enough. <laughs> um, it's weird how often he says the word Boogie in his music. Um, but anyway, um, but I remember a few years ago when Oogie Boogie was announced to be making an appearance at like Disney World during the, the villains, you know, thing. And it was like, people went, ate mm-hmm. shit. Yeah. Why? That's a great question. I, I, Were you I excited? Know. Would you be excited to see him in I person? I would. I would. Any of the characters, really. Yeah. But um, but he's not my favorite. Who's character. your favorite? Jack Skellington. Jack Skellington. My favorite, yeah. But uh, I, I don't know. His song is very catchy in mm-hmm. the movie. So I could see people, you know, enjoying that. And um, <laughs> he's just this big burlap sack full of bugs. <laughs> yeah. Um, but he's almost cuddly. Right. In a way. Right. So maybe that's it. Maybe he he's evil, but he doesn't... He's evil, but in, in the physical form of a big fluffy pillow. Right. He's sort of... Um, he's sort of the distilled version of the movie itself, where it's like... It's, it's cuddly, and it's kid-friendly, and it's soft, but if you kind of scratch underneath the surface a little bit, it's bugs. Bugs everywhere. Yeah. It's a little and disturbing. It is. Uh, in the film, he gets that string pulled, and his his sack falls. His burlap, <laughs> his burlap sack falls. <laughs> add that too, and it reveals bugs. Right. Completely full. And from what I understand, the very last one, he's yelling, "My bugs, my bugs!" as a bug, and Santa Claus squishes him. Oh man! Under his foot. Really? Yes. So he straight up murdered Oogie Boogie. He murders the lead. He, yeah, the, the, lead the head vampire, whatever. Yeah. In a sense, I'm not Cut suggesting that they're yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. Type of thing, yeah. The one that can could talk, <laughs> the intelligent one. <laughs> yeah, the yeah. one that assembled all of them together and right. Yeah, exactly. Wow. It's so. dark. Yeah. It's a dark movie. But it's, you know, not. I I would still argue it's not scary. It's right. It's not something that I would have nightmares at before Christmas. No. I wouldn't either. I wouldn't have Tim Burton Nightmares Before Christmas either. And now I, I've seen a lot more of late of Christmas-themed merchandise at the stores. Mm-hmm. Um, before it was Hot Topic was, you know, Nightmare Before Christmas stuff yeah. only. And now it's seeping into it. Walmart even. Yeah. You know, well, I was gonna, like that. I was going to say, it did seem to be the domain of like goth kids, mm-hmm. especially... You know, uh, in in late high school and like college and stuff, it was like that was the thing, and I think it was just because of the aesthetic more than anything else. Yeah, 
you know. But now, yeah, it's it does. Dark they, and it's they, black they, and white. A lot of images. Yeah, and, yeah. curly. A lot of curls. Curl, lots of curls. Um, I remember one of the coolest, uh, CalArts used to do Halloween uh, parties every year. And because it was nothing but art students, um, theater singing um, and, and, you know, design and animation, you would see some of the coolest, most unbelievable costumes you've ever seen. To the point where even the normal people from Valencia would come up to the weirdos for a night just because the spectacle was just like... The, some of the best costumes you've ever seen in your life. And one of the most memorable was a full-body Jack Skellington, and his whoever the partner was or the friend was a full-body Sally, and it was gorgeous. Mm. And then he had a, um, uh, a full-size body puppet of Zero that he was controlling from the waist, and so it looked like Zero was flying in front of him and it was just like but it was just like it was it was striking the imagery of it and to see like those two walking around with the dog it was just like it sticks with you so there definitely is something to you know at least the visuals of the movie that that make you go that make it easily recognizable and instantly recognizable yeah yeah for sure but now it seems like they are pushing it towards more into the christmas realm Mm -hmm. where they're like you know. Well, there's like a, a snowman. At one point, when Jack's in Halloween Town or in Christmas Town, he jumps into a snowman. So he's got the big white, you know, balls on top of each other in his head. Right. So um, things like that, images like that, they can use. You know, obviously, as much merchandising as they can sell, they're gonna do it. So, yeah. You know, it, it's it's interesting because um, I feel like I I don't like to see that much merchandise on things that are so near dear to my heart yeah. a lot of times because i feel like it almost takes away from it as um you know as as more stuff gets out there just thrown out i mean just destroying throwing things out there right and i've run into a lot of people who will see that stuff and they haven't seen the movie and i'm like you should probably just watch the movie right. you know? <laughs> yeah and yeah you know the same there's a lot of movies out there that are like that um uh the the room mm-hmm. uh is one that you know saw it you know several years ago and all of a sudden what a couple years ago they made the this uh seth rogan movie they re oh yeah the, the movie the disaster artist it. yeah yeah and it's it got huge and everyone's talking about it and everything like that yeah. so and it almost kind of takes away from how you know uh i don't know how precious it is i guess right so yeah that's a hard it's a hard balance because you it is you know when you when you sort of discover something that does seem to be like yours and then all of a sudden you see the ubiquity of the you know how available suddenly it becomes and it and and it does it starts to kind of um you know it it kind what's the word i'm looking for it it um it kind of takes what's special about the movie for you and it kind of it spreads it too thin you know until yeah. it, it starts to become un- unrecognizable and you go like but this isn't this isn't my movie this isn't no you're doing it wrong yeah and i know? think that's why a lot of these um tim burton's movies he, he's really tried not to make a sequel mm-hmm. you know i think they talked about maybe a beetlejuice sequel at some point that's one yeah. of the only ones i've heard but yeah. i can't imagine them doing a sequel to this movie um right or even at edward scissorhands really you know, I I wouldn't want them to. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. No, it would just be, I mean, obviously any other, any sequel to this would just be a rehashing 
unless you reversed it and somehow like Thanksgiving wanted to become Halloween mm-hmm. and they had to like fight back, <laughs> you know, um, it goes into Thanksgiving and, you know, messes that up or, yeah. But they discover like a turkey walks in through the door one day and it was like, what? <laughs> you know, yeah. nobody likes Thanksgiving. We'll make it more memorable. There you go. So we'll it could it be, ours. It, I mean, but still it would be the wow. same movie. It's just like pol- poultry geists all over the, you know, chasing people don't, around. Don't be too clever. No, don't okay. be too clever. They're going to start. Somebody's <laughs> going to listen to this and oh, do boy. it. But I understand what you're saying. You know, um, I've mentioned it a few times, but obviously, you know, I've got my Steamboat Willie thing and my Oswald thing. And and it is, even with this being the 90-year anniversary of Mickey, it's, it's weird because it's not mine. They can do whatever they want with it. But there is that part of me that's like, you know, no, I don't want anybody else to know about this. You know, and obviously there are whole communities of people who feel the exact same way as me. But, um, but I've also chosen something that does seem to be very limited in scope. Mm-hmm. You know, not a lot of things get put out with Steamboat Willie, and even with that, it's such an iconic look that you can't do much more than paint him black and white and put a hat on him. And so it's like, great, that's what I want. Mm-hmm. You know, if I start seeing Steamboat Willie with like a Santa coat on, yeah, I'd start. I'm gonna start to be like, oh no. No, 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 no. You can't do this, you know? And so I imagine with something like this for you, where all of a sudden they're popping up with a lot more regularity for some reason. And maybe, I don't know if you know the reason or can speak to that, but it just, it does seem to be like Jack Skellington suddenly is starting to show up again Mm -hmm. in different kind of contexts. I think the fact that it's a Halloween and Christmas just, you know, draws itself to to the merchandise right and to be disney kind of realized like oh we can market this for three months straight oh, yeah um and there are some convenience stores uh drug stores and things like that that have entire sections just marked off for nightmare before christmas stuff right every year it's oh socks a planner a, a clock um a snow globe right and once uh november 1st hits they can just switch out that snow globe from the creepy looking one to the Christmas looking one. <laughs> right. The socks with uh, Christmas looking socks, you know? Yeah. They could just keep going. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I've been a sucker for that stuff. I I try to keep it to a minimum mm-hmm. as best I can. And, I, you know, I have a small section that has more Christmassy type stuff and one section that has more Halloween stuff, but it's not very big. Right. You know, got maybe two or three uh, collectibles in each one. Yeah. So. Yeah. Because there's so much stuff out there. It's so saturated. Oh, I'm sure. So. Yeah. Um, it, uh, I, I did have a point that I was going to make and then my dog started barking. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> damn it, Wilbur. Um, it's, uh, but, oh, the thing that I was going to say was there is something to all of that. And I think it's absolutely true and, and um, uh, you know, appropriate to a certain degree. But the nice thing is, is like, no matter how we feel about, the merchandise or the, the, you know, the sort of new fans that sort of pop up because of it or the people who have never seen it, but they're wearing the shirts or that, you know, or they see, you know, certainly like when they see something that you're wearing and they go, you know, oh, I love Jack Skellington, you know, and it's like, oh, you've seen the movie no you know, and you're just like, yeah. you know, but the nice thing is, is that you can always go back to the movie yourself, you know, and you get to show it to your children, which is like such a special thing, mm-hmm. um, you know, and sort of introduce a new generation to it, but from the source so that they can sort of make something of it themselves as well. 
you know, and then either, either choose to accept or deny the multitude of other things that sort of have cropped up around it. But like you always, and that's the thing when people complain about sequels or prequels or remakes or something where it's like, you can always just go back and watch the thing that you loved. Mm-hmm. And what a magical thing, you, you know, yeah. this idea of like, so-and-so is raping my childhood. It's like, no, just go and watch the thing. Yeah. You don't need to watch don't this. Yeah, you know, it's like you I can love watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. You don't have to watch Kingdom. You of don't. Ha- you Skull. don't have to watch Crystal Skull, you really and don't. you can just forget that it ever existed. Yeah, I already did. You know, I love Spider Man. I'm never gonna go see Venom. Okay. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And it's getting terrible reviews. Oh. But I can always go back and watch Spider Man Two and just be like, this was a good movie. Mm-hmm. You know. Agreed. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we should talk about that. Yeah, Bruce Campbell had a cameo in that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I um, going back to the the kids. Um, you know, I have Nightmare Before Christmas stuff at my desk at work or in, in my office at home, mm. and um, I you know I draw, so I have drawings out. You know, either in production or on the walls that are influenced by Tim Burton and yeah. by Nightmare Before Christmas. Uh, German I, yeah. expression. <laughs> I was gonna say I've seen your work. I can oh. I can absolutely attest to that. I I can yeah. Cool. And now that you pointed out, I'm like, oh big, yeah, yeah, a big influence on me. And it's funny that that didn't come out of me until after I saw these things mm-hmm. until college, basically. Um, you know, I've drawn my whole life when I was a kid and everything, and I I think I've kind of found something that I love and that's it's almost like a niche for me that um, makes me happy. Yeah, when I draw it. I feel good. You know, I feel like, wow, I've accomplished something. Right. And I can be proud of it. Absolutely. You know, and, and then seeing those things, I'm I'm not drawing things to, to creep people out or freak people out. <laughs> right. Um, it's just that's what my brain is 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 creating. Yeah. And, you know, I'm trying to teach them, you know, this is art and, you know, it's something that, uh, you know, we can be proud of. Yeah. You know, and that's where I'm coming from. So they saw the movie. I keep hitting this table. That's fine. It's a big table. with my hands. I don't know. (laughs) Uh, You know, they saw the movie, so they know where I'm coming from with that, you know, love that I have there. So if they don't like it, if someday down the road, they're like, no, that was terrible. Yeah. Or, you know, they, or they love it. You know, I'm, I'm good either way. Right. I can, I can rest easy. (laughs) Well, and that's why I love doing this, this show so much because you do, you learn about why people associate themselves with the things that they do but really what it comes down to is like you make that thing a part of you in that way so that it becomes more than and it's part of the reason why we take such ownership over it and we kind of you know it's mine you know but it's because it's more than just wearing the shirt it's more than just you know uh, proclaiming your love of oogie boogie on um, Facebook or whatever it's like you've you've taken something you've taken this aesthetic from this man and from this movie and you've you've actually made it a part of you so that the art that you create now is a reflection of this thing and so whether or not you know your kids grow up and they look back and they go oh, I didn't really like that movie I guarantee you they're gonna love it because it was because it's going to connect them back to you in some way mm-hmm. you know um, and that's uh, that that to me is like the coolest part of 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 talking to people you know like you coming in and saying this is why i love it mm-hmm. and it's and it's more than just like it was a good movie and it had you know it was funny jokes it's just like <laughs> no you've made this you you've you've taken something from it 
and you've created, you know, an offshoot of whatever that aesthetic is or whatever that moral is or whatever, you know, whatever it is about it, it you, you, you've gone on and you've, you've sort of created your own art uh, out of it and because of it. And I just think that's, that's just like the coolest thing in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so is there anything that we didn't talk about or that I didn't ask that you wish I would have brought up any sort of interesting facts or figures hmm. before we sort of close out? Um, I, I don't think there's a whole lot. I think uh, just the fact that, um, that it took them three years to make it, yeah. just doing the shot after shot. I mean... It's not. It's no reason to like a movie, or especially to love a movie. <laughs> yeah. Um, but to me, that just—I don't know. Anytime I watch it, I'm I'm seeing that, and um, just contemplating the the t- painstaking effort they did. Yeah. Putting it together, it had to have been just a love for what they were doing. Absolutely. And and they did a great job with it. It shows. Yeah. Yeah. Um, some of the other voices, uh, Paul Rubens' voice is mm-hmm. in there. Uh, also from CalArts. So. And also, Tim Burton uh, did uh, Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, that's uh, where they oh, first okay. connected. Nice. Yep. Very cool. Yep. And then um, Greg Proops uh, did a voice in this movie as well. He may have done a few in the uh, background uh, characters as mm-hmm. well. But um, from whose line is it anyway? From whose line? Yes. Always got to bring it back to improv at some point. <laughs> Very good. What improv? Phew. So um, other than that, I. As far as I know, we've covered every aspect of Tim Burton's Nightmare Before Christmas. Wow. Well, I feel good about it. Do you feel good about it? I feel great about it. Well, thank you so much for coming out. Um, that lawnmower in the background means that we've come to the end of our time. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, so uh, thank you very much once again. And I would say um, good podcast. Great podcast. Yeah. Thanks, Brett. All right. Thank you. Bye. Bye. What Am I Missing is edited, produced, and hosted by me, Brett Walden, with original music by Anthony Smith. Special thanks to Daryl Black, if for nothing else, exposing the fact that I don't know the difference between Edward Scissorhands and Beetlejuice. If you would like to know more about me or listen to past episodes, you can find it all at facebook.com slash whatamimissingpod. And if you have any questions, comments, or curses about anything you heard today, you can email me at whatamimissingpodcast at gmail.com. Please make sure to rate us on whatever app you choose to listen to podcasts on and tell your friends about us. Pretty please? And now, here's a preview of next week's episode. Peter Benchley um, wrote the book Jaws in 1974, and he did not think it was going to do very well. Mm. And he grew up kind of obsessed with these stories that people would tell about sharks, and like, the only good shark is a dead shark, and da 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 and like how uh, they kind of represented mystery for him, and like, this kind of silent terror that would attack for no reason. Right. And of course now we know that that's not the case. Thanks for listening.